0: Welcome to Life on the Illinois Prairie. Your host is Wendy Fleming Dexter, and after 30 years living in small-town Illinois, she has stories to tell. Past cornfields and factories, into the heart of Amish country, there's more here than what meets the eye, far beyond what you think you know. So buckle up and stay tuned. This is Life on the Illinois Prairie.
1: Hi, my name is Wendy Fleming-Dexter. I'm your host on Life on the Illinois Prairie. And today, I'm very delighted to have Ed Yoder, a local businessman in our area. This is our one of our other shows about mysteries and misconceptions about the Amish. Ed, would you like to tell a little bit about your history? How you? I know you were born, I understand you were born Amish, not around this area. So would you like to give a little background on your history?
2: Sure. Yes. So I was born into an Amish family in Jamesport, Missouri. And uh, about the age of 11, we moved to Bloomfield, Iowa. And then uh, I left the Amish, essentially ran away at the age of 16, and stayed in that area for about five more years, and then moved to the Arthur, Illinois area, not as an Amish person, but uh, been in, in uh, living in the Amish area in the Arthur area for uh, since that. So uh, that's kind of my history as far as the Amish my Amish part of it mm-hmm. I guess.
1: Did you go to school did you go to Amish school or did you go to public schools?
2: Yeah so in uh, in the Missouri the community in which we lived in Missouri that was the only option was to go to an Amish school parochial school hmm. the uh, town school would have would have not been acceptable in that community it was would have been uh, strictly forbidden hmm. um, same way with Bloomfield Iowa community. That was kind of the same way. Uh, however, here in the Arthur, Illinois area, there's there's kind of a mix. Some of the people send their children to the to the town schools, and, and uh, most of them, however, would still go to the parochial school.
1: Well, that brings a subject that we've discussed with Wilmer and Otto, different people who've been guests on this show, how different Amish communities can be and I've not had anyone on who has lived in different communities like that. I know that they're all under the same umbrella of being Amish, but that different communities, we stress how different communities have different regulations and the deacons and the bishops and everybody can regulate those. Of the three places where you have lived, I know we eliminate Arthur as a I know it's more of a liberal one, but of the other two communities that were more strict, what were some, can you, can you relate some of the other issues other than a choice of school not being an option, but any other things that were stricter in those communities that you remember?
2: Sure. Yeah. And I think that brings up a, a very important point when discussing the Amish. I always say there's two words that should not be used when we discuss the Amish, and that's. Always and never, because <laughs> just about the time we think that the Amish would never do this or that, I find the exception. <sighs> There's such a, a wide variety of different ordinances, as you might say, and even within that, it's addressed differently. But as far as to, uh, to answer your question, as an example, in Jamesport, Missouri, the farming was done strictly with horses. With a few exceptions, we were allowed to bale hay with a – hiring a neighbor with a tractor to come bale our hay for us. We would not have been allowed to own a a motor-driven baler at that time. And then we moved to Bloomfield, Iowa, and in Bloomfield, we were allowed to bale hay, pick corn, and several other other farming things similar to that, as long as it was horse-drawn but powered by an engine. Hmm. a motor or diesel or gas motor. Um, And then compared to the Arthur area here where there's some tractor farming kind of, I don't think it's officially allowed, but they kind of crowd the fence, so to speak. (laughs) And certainly no problem whatsoever with having engine driven equipment. They still prefer it to be horse drawn or at least drawn with a uh, steel wheel tractor. Hmm. So there's quite a variety. That's just one example many more similar to that.
1: Mm. I know when you mentioned steel wheels, a friend of mine lives out in Pennsylvania and she said that's what they predominantly use in the area that she's in.
2: I was going to say, I could give you another example in um, there's a community in Kansas where you'll see tractors running up and down the road with little carts behind them or little wagons behind them built specifically for human transportation. So they will load up their family and take their tractor to town to go grocery shopping.
1: Oh my gosh.
2: Uh, which is a little unusual, but you know there's quite a quite a wide variety of different diverse standards from one community to the next.
1: Interesting, interesting. And how old were you when you moved to the Arthur area?
2: I was 21. I left home when I was 16 and lived in uh, about 45 minutes from the Amish community in Iowa and Like a lot of youth, when they discover themselves or discover the world, I had to try the world and and had a little bit of a rowdy lifestyle, and I was looking for something different. A friend of mine who had lived in Bloomfield at the time, and his family had moved out here, came back to visit in that area, and uh, he invited me to come out here and live with him out here, and I moved out here and kind of took a little bit of a different direction it didn't uh, I wouldn't say I immediately moved out here and grew up and and uh, turned into an adult, but that was kind of the transition where I turned back around and and headed back into a less rowdy lifestyle, so to speak.
1: <laughs> you said you drove a truck for several years. I can't think of very many occupations where you would see more of the world than kind of the opposite of being raised Amish, where you were so insular. Were you a long-distance hauler, or how? what kind of truck driving did you do?
2: Uh, yes, I drove over the road for 14 years, and most of that time was spent primarily in the Northeast, but I went, I've been to all 48 states with the, with the semi, and uh, have met just, the best part of that experience was meeting all the different types of people in the different cultures, and it was really a wonderful experience, <sighs> but... Uh, yes quite different from growing up on a on a farm not having you know I don't know I'd left the county probably a handful of times before I left home so it was a, a different experience
1: oh quite eye opening i'm sure i can't imagine i mean i'm always in awe of the my neighbors and people around here that have gone from driving a horse and buggy and then they're driving a van or an 18 passenger van to driving these big vehicles but to go from you know, driving a horse and buggy to an eighteen wheeler has got to be a, a daunting experience, but a very interesting one, I'm sure.
2: Yeah, and I think that was probably part of the uh, the attraction was just the different. As a as a youngster, every time the feed man would show up with a big truck or the milkman or something like that, we we'd stand in awe. You know, and this is just something that we could only dream of doing someday. <laughs> I'm sure that yeah. contributed to uh, the urge to little boy growing up, you know, kind of thing, I guess.
1: Yeah, who doesn't who doesn't want to do that when you're a little a little one. So, did you meet your wife in Arthur area or is she from here?
2: Yes, my wife grew up Amish in this area. She's lived here all her life and we met as a lot of young Amish or or ex-Amish or Amish in their Rome Springer stage do we <laughs> met at a at a party at as the Amish around here were known to party quite a bit during that time and that's how we met and we uh, got together and uh, she's my wife.
1: Huh. so she had not joined the Amish Church then. She had not joined, been baptized as an adult when you guys met.
2: Yes, that is correct, and that's an, a very important distinction. So, uh, pretty much universally. And the Amish make a, a big distinction between someone who left the Amish at a young age, decided not to go that direction, and someone who had made the commitment and became a member and then decided to leave. Uh, that's uh, There's some communities that hold that, that to where there's not as much of a distinction as some other communities, but uh, pretty typically... That, that's a big separation. so mm-hmm. uh, in both of our cases we're welcome to go back to our families and, and the communities and and uh, fellowship with them and and hang out with them although it's it's a little bit more um, in in Bloomfield where I left from that's n- we're not as openly welcome I mean we're they're, it, it's a little different from what it is around here
0: mm-hmm.
2: but had we left after, becoming an Amish church member, that's totally seen in a different way. It, mm-hmm. There's some restrictions on how you eat with them and everything after that point.
1: I've heard that before. That's that's very interesting, and I never realized the distinction until starting this, this series because I'm about, I want to educate other people, but I can't believe how much I have been educated myself with just doing this series and meeting people like you. I, I knew that people. I knew that Amish had adult baptism, and I knew that people could be shunned. But I didn't realize that if you didn't make that choice to join the church, that it would not be, you know, as severe.
2: Yeah, and it it is, like I said, that varies from community to community. Some of the of the more conservative and very plain communities, they are extremely hard on people like myself, where. They would not allow them to to come back for any reason ever, unless it's to come back as an Amish person to stay. Oh. Um, that's and, and we had in a in a um, I was the oldest of nine children in my family, so my parents treated me in a way that they were concerned for my siblings for me to negatively influence my siblings. Hmm. So the first several years, and certainly my lifestyle at the time didn't, didn't help, but they did not want me to come back and visit in my English clothes and, you know, in my worldly ways. So they all, they always made sure I was completely welcome to come home and stay anytime I wanted to, you know, know, with arms wide open, but they did not want me to drive a vehicle back on the property and and park and walk in with my English clothes and the haircut and all that stuff that was not
0: Mm -hmm.
2: consistent with the Amish lifestyle. And that was not, the community rules kind of dictated that, but it was, uh, that was, a lot of that was a family decision. You know, it's just how they wanted to Mm -hmm. to treat it. And we respected that.
1: Have any of your siblings also left or are they all still Amish?
2: They are all still Amish and uh, all married, but, Two of my sisters are not married, and all the rest of them are married, Amish, with families. Wow.
1: and it seems to have been with everyone that we've talked to on here on this sh- podcast. Everyone has been able to maintain and have great respect and love for their family. I don't think I don't think people realize that by by leaving. The Amish, especially under the circumstances like you did, that you're still very much involved with your family as much as you're allowed to be under the circumstances in the community that you that they still live in. But I, I think people don't realize just how important everybody's roots are that have been that were born Amish. The foundation.
2: I would agree with that, and I would also I would add that that's not necessarily. There's quite a few of people such as myself who are not as, you know, who, who never look back, mm-hmm. who don't want to have anything to do with the, with their upbringing. I would say they are probably in the minority, but there is certainly a, a, a um, segment of people like myself who, uh, who just want to deny that, deny their heritage or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I would have been in that group until relatively recently. Actually, when I left home, I was, I was anti, I didn't, you know, I was angry at the culture and uh, they were too restrictive and all they want to do is try to find fault with you. And I would have, I think I probably stayed that way for 10 years. I don't really know where I could, you know, the point where I could point to where I started changing my attitude toward that. But um, the more I grow up and the more I understand of, of what my culture is about, the culture in which I came from the more I embrace it as part of my heritage and it, just, it uh, makes me who I am.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And I think that that ability to to grow, to look forward, you know, to look forward in what you want to do in your life, but to be able to look back and see that foundation that has been firmly planted is so important.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And um, I was going to also throw in there a big difference I have friends who are my age and in similar situations, except for the the important distinction of having left after they became church members. Mm. Um, a lot of the people who are somewhat bitter at the, toward the culture and and uh, not as embracing of their heritage are the people who who have been ostracized and shunned mm-hmm. because of that, and it's a, it's a very it's a heartbreaking thing they go through. It's a lot of emotional stuff that it's, it's really a, uh, a social issue. Yeah. And a lot of people have a hard time kind of,
1: you know, uh, it's gotta be hard for the parents. It's gotta be hard for the, you know, siblings and for the person themselves going through it. I, I, I can't imagine it'd be an easy decision, especially for people who've, you know, have been baptized and then having to try to, get through their their family relationships if there is one at that point. It's gotta be very, very painful all the way around.
2: Yes, yes, very much. It's the the big thing that always comes up is the eating. In this area, people who have been put beside church is the term that's often used. If they're put beside church, they are not allowed to to dish out from the same Dishes as as others. Now they're allowed to sit with them after the after the food's been taken and everything. In the Bloomfield community, where I came from, someone in that position was not allowed to sit at the same table as as the others. So there was no uh, no problem with taking out of the same bowl, but you're not allowed to eat with them at the same table. And those a lot of times, you know, the people who left try to kind of crowd that a little bit, see what they can get away with. And then there's big pushback from the other side, and and it it often ends in you know hurt feelings, and and uh, it's a it's a tough thing to to watch them go through. So I can't really relate, you know. In some sense, I can relate to them, but it's still it, I always say it is something like I don't know, never been in those shoes, so I don't know how I would handle that if I had been been in that situation. Mm-hmm. It's it's tough.
1: It's an interesting form of. Punishment, if you will, because I don't think people. I've I've been fortunate to be invited to some Amish people's homes for for meals, and I don't think that it's, it's hard for English people to realize when you're so scattered. And when I was a child, we all got together and we ate. We had our meals. We had a you know breakfast, dinner, and supper. We all ate together. And when you I see that it's such a communal setting and it's such a such a part of the family that everybody is together for their meals. And I guess that that's one reason maybe to set people aside like that. And, and I I guess, I don't know if punishment's the right word, but restricting people from, from fully participating in that, you know, they're not totally.
2: Yeah. And I think it's, you know, I don't have a problem with that. It's, it's that's in my mind, it's a, it's a good nonviolent way to, you know, to have repercussions, I guess. I mean, Mm -hmm. they did, make a commitment it's i wouldn't wouldn't want to do it that way but i kind of understand where they're coming from and it's actually scriptural based they have a sorry i can't quote this the chapter and verse but where uh, jesus says not to eat with people who have who say they believe but yet do not believe and Hmm. i might disagree with their definition of what a believer is and and everything but that's kind of where this comes from Hmm. they you know to someone who has said they will be a member and then change their way, their mind. Mm-hmm. But it's uh it's just one of the cultural things. And it's when I left that I knew what I was stepping out into and, mm-hmm. and it is what it is.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: You mentioned food as being an important part of fellowship. I think that also, you know, in the Bible, there's many examples of when Jesus with the crowds, he, you know, he ate with them and that's mentioned over and over and over again. And mm-hmm. I think that's a, an important point that, Food is is a great way of fellowship, and I believe that's it's just a very effective way of them disciplining their flock, so mm-hmm. so to speak.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, having been to a few events where Amish food has, was served in a oh a school setting, or I can attest, I attest to the how delicious the food can be. <laughs> that that's a little aside there. You, how did you come to own your own business, Ed, and what? led you to focus in the construction area since you were a truck driver what area how, you you do have a contru- construction business is that correct
2: yes that is correct and i do construction i own a construction business and we we focus on metal roofing metal skins like a metal siding a post frame building hmm. stuff like that and i guess i never really thought about where that comes from but in my uh when I was 16, I was helping my dad just as a somewhat of a side job. He was a farmer, but in the spare time, we'd go help our neighbor build pole barns and stuff hmm. similar to that. So I got some experience from that, but just in general, uh, growing up on an Amish farm, if something needed repaired or, or uh, needed built, we, we very seldom hired someone to do it. It was just something we did ourselves. So over the years I didn't get any formal training but it was just kind of something that was a part of of uh, the upbringing.
1: Your father you just mentioned was a farmer which you know I know most Amish are but does he is are there a lot of cottage, cottage industries where your father where your family lives in Iowa now or is it are they able to survive by farming because I know around here there are so many factories and cottage industries that Amish work in in addition to their farming. Is he still able to survive and raise a family?
2: No, that is something that has changed a lot in the uh it's it's been a little over thirty years since I've left there and When I left, I don't know the statistics, the exact numbers, but I would say ninety percent or more were farmers, and that was for most of those that was all they did for several. Like my dad, you know, they had a little bit of a, of a side in this, you know, when he had a little spare time, he would go make an extra dollar doing something else. But Mm -hmm. for most of the families, that was, that was what they did. And there were some struggles. I know some families had a little bit of a difficult time making a living that way, but that was, that was the way it was. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now, when I go back there, the majority of people, I I suspect it's certainly close to, to the majority of not do construction or have a side craft shop or, or something similar to that. So that is that has really changed a lot. And that's partially due to the, just the, the growth of the community, but also somewhat, you know, just the way farming has changed.
1: True. So what is your involvement? Are you involved with the Illinois Amish Heritage Center?
2: Uh, yes, I am. And that is, you know, 30 years ago when I – ran away from home on that Sunday afternoon and someone would have told me that in in 30 years I will be involved in a project that uh, tells the story of the Amish and and tries to uh, portray a positive light to the Amish of the Amish to the world I would have told them they're insane <laughs> so I, that has changed quite a bit over the years
1: <laughs> amazing how your thought process changes
2: yeah some of this is I'm interested in history you know history is always kind of been somewhat of a fascinating thing and I guess that's kind of what got me into this but I also history you know in in many different aspects I guess but kind of what I got started here several years ago uh, my dad had his retirement sale and the grain binder I don't know if you're familiar with uh, what an oat binder or a grain binder is but it's uh, it's what's used to put the oats in bundles so that they can be set up in shocks and then threshed later on. That's what, at growing up Amish, that is what we did. That's the only way to harvest oats that I knew an Amish person would do. Hmm. And then that item came up on the auction at my dad's retirement auction. And I bought that and brought it out here. And I was looking for a place that I could use that. And I contacted the people at the Illinois Amish Heritage Center and asked them if they would allow me to, perhaps display it there. I did not want to sell it because it was, mm. you know, it's been in the family. Sure. And then uh, they convinced me to become involved and uh, actually joined the board there. And it's it's a very rewarding project.
1: Oh, I bet it is. I I've, I feel so fortunate to be as close to that as I am and to have seen it from the inception when when they, I was, as you probably were too, at Yoder's when they moved the, the, the Schrock House and the Yoder House.
2: I was watching that from a distance. I don't remember. Uh, I, I w- remember when it was going on. I was interested in it, but it wasn't It was something they were doing. It wasn't uh, something we were doing at that point. <laughs> and uh, now I wish I would have gotten involved with it a little sooner, especially the barn. That barn is a, is such an amazing oh. piece of art It's what I like to refer it as.
1: I I agree. We were we were at the barn raising event last fall, and I happened to be located right at the end of the vendors tent, and we could watch the progress of what was going on. And it was so amazing to see. And then this year at the sheep to sheep to wool to clothing uh, event, Wilmer said, "You need to get inside to see the alpacas." So we did and uh, to see the craftsmanship i've mentioned this before but the craftsmanship of the barn and the blending of the old original barn with the new construction and then those wooden pegs it just uh, is so exciting
2: yes it is and it's we've got a, such a good assortment of people with different different opinions and different inputs on the best way to go forward with this and uh, one of those is tom vance our historian he's you know very very tuned in to to the historical accuracy (laughs) but as with all projects like this there's times when there has to be a compromise you know to
0: Mm.
2: we have to go historical but but uh also have to be practical about it so Mm. and there's such a such a great group of people to work with this
1: you're very fortunate, definitely, to have Tom. I, I had asked him earlier when I first started this podcast if he'd be a guest speaking about the Amish, and he said, I I am not the person who is knowledgeable about the Amish history and heritage, but he will come on later and speak about the Five Mile House. But I've been fascinated when we go there and the the restoration of those buildings, even down to the the chemical makeup of the paint that was used back when those buildings were were constructed
2: sure yeah and i i don't know there's different there again there's the different angles of what the uh the ultimate goal is for i think the ultimate goal for this the heritage center is to tell the story of the amish but um you know is that the story of a, of the contemporary amish is it the amish heritage which that's kind of you know, the, the, the focus here, mm-hmm. but there's so many different ways you can, you can look at this and, and what uh, so many different things you can do with it, I guess.
0: Mm-hmm. But
2: I guess my, my desire is that this can be used to give people an inside view of the Amish without having to go, you know, invade their half their homes or whatever, Sure. Uh, without making them an exhibit in themselves.
1: True. <laughs> We were talking about just to get outside of the Amish Heritage Center for just a minute. We had talked about the music of the Amish. The uh, I know that we've discussed that before. That there aren't any musical instruments, but when you hear that, that to me it's enchanting. I know it's not, but it's just I've heard it at at the little Amish school across the road from me when I used to go to the school programs. It's just such a beauty and haunting sound to that. Can you describe that or describe how those Hearing that can take. Does it take you back to your childhood and those times when, when you weren't conflicted?
2: Yes. Yeah, so at the time, growing up with that, it was just another boring part of being <laughs> Amish. That is not nearly as exciting as the, the rock and roll and the country music that you'd hear occasionally from a, a car driving by, or if you're fortunate enough, your your driver would turn on some music for you as you're taking. <laughs> he's taking you to the grocery store or something. But but yes. After you know coming back, I don't know, not really full circle, but uh, after growing up a bit and understanding the significance of this, because a lot of these the songs that are used in the in the church services come from a, a book that's called the Ausbund, which is it's believed to be one of the oldest, if not the oldest, uh, hymn book continuously used in the in the church services. Mm-hmm. But a lot of those hymns in there were were written by our ancestors, uh, during times of persecution uh, back during the, uh, the times of shortly after the reformation, when Anabaptists were being persecuted by both Protestant and uh, Catholic for their denial of infant baptism, essentially is, is, is kind of what was at the root of it. There was some other mm-hmm. things at play too, but so kind of the historical significance of it. But when I hear it today, it also takes me back Gosh. to my childhood and, uh, for example a wedding song that i recorded put it on my youtube channel when i heard that i was it, it literally sent goosebumps hmm. you know down my arms just for because it, it took me back to a wedding i was at as a youngster and i didn't even realize it hmm. until i heard that song again what
0: hmm. that
2: particular hymn it just signified to end of a wedding hmm. or the wedding is, is services are about to be over, getting ready to go eat hmm.
1: I wonder I may have heard that if it's common in 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 weddings. I have been to one one Amish wedding just up the road from me but um it's just such a a haunting is just the word that comes to mind when I hear it. I'll I'll be driving around in the evenings sometimes and catch a a, a Sunday night gathering of the youth when they're not playing volleyball or when they're when they're uh, singing and it's just to drive by and hear that it's just a very beautiful sound.
2: Yeah, the youth uh, singing is is probably a little bit of a faster tune. So the the church serve the hymns used in the church service are are uh, sung with the slow tunes, where there's uh, it can take minutes to go through one line hmm. in the verse of the music, and then uh, the youth singing is typically done with a, a more a faster. It's all acapella, but a little bit of a faster, more of a a contemporary style. Hmm. Speed, I
1: guess. It's interesting. I wouldn't have wouldn't have guessed that. That's interesting. So, are you will you be attending the I know they're having a big Hostetler family gathering. David Kent Coy was on last week and spoke about that. Will you be attending that or you you have Hostetler descent or ancestors?
2: Yes. Yes, I I will and I do. My plans are to attend both days, but we have a, a wedding that's. Uh, I'm torn between uh, uh, a wedding of a, a fairly close relative uh, of mine and uh, missing some events on a Saturday afternoon. So we'll we'll see how that goes when the time comes. I may have to <laughs> skip out on one or the other just a little bit. But yes, those are fascinating, fascinating things. I I tell people I'm a consumer of of the uh, genealogy and and all that stuff, but not a contributor. <laughs> but it's very fascinating to me and. Uh, Jacob Hosteller was my sixth great grandfather, so uh, directly descended.
1: Interesting, interesting. I wonder if the I wonder if they plan on doing any singing at that event, since you'll have so many there. Has anybody thought about doing that?
2: I don't know. I'm not involved with the. I'm not part of the planning committee. I'm just, just a, like I said, just a consumer at this point of <laughs> uh, a participant, but not directly involved with it. No, I was going to say Jacob Hosteller is a famous figure in history as as uh, basically because of his because of the massacre and for those who don't know Jake Hosteller was his family was attacked by the Indians during the French Indian War and he and two of his sons were taken captive and that's part of the reason that so many of the Amish people are aware of his of him being in their lineage but a lot of Amish people, are descendant from him, and also uh, quite a few non-Amish. As uh, as one of those sons left the Amish at that point, and a lot of a lot of people are descendant from Jacob Hosteller, who are not Amish and have not been for generations.
1: And didn't he establish a whole bunch of churches in this area? Is that true? I mean, is that do I have that information correct, or was it one of his?
2: Yeah, I think so. David David Kent Coy would be a much better. Person to ask this, but I, I think it was Christian's descendant, maybe his grandson, I believe, who was a preacher in this area. Mm-hmm. If I'm not mistaken, yeah. That's um, and that he would have been, uh, I believe, a Dunkard at the time. He he left the Amish faith. Christian did, yes. one of the sons, and I think that's how that came to be.
1: I see. I see. What do you think is the biggest challenge you would say facing? Is there or are there any huge challenges facing the Amish community? I mean what would you what would you say would be
2: yes I think the, the the big challenge right now is for them to try to back when they were all uh, able to to farm and stay relatively isolated that was a lot easier for them to to keep their keep their ways
0: mm-hmm.
2: but as more of them are getting jobs in other areas they're having more worldly influences and it's a little bit more challenging for them to keep their Keep their community intact and keep their ways the way it is. As far as a uh, an item or or whatever the the smartphone is the single most threatening thing to the Amish culture, I believe, mm-hmm. in our time and and possibly uh, you know ever. I haven't put a lot of thought into that, but that is back when I was a youngster. You, uh, if I wanted to sneak a radio, I had to find a way to hide a, a bulky radio somewhere, and. Didn't have a, a lot of opportunities to to use it. Yeah. Same way with a camera, television wasn't even, you know, wasn't even an option. That was, it was just impossible logistically to, to try to sneak around with something like that. Right. And now, with a tiny little device, the youth can have access to all of that and and infinitely more,
0: mm-hmm.
2: and easily hide it. And it's even accepted this community uh, as uh, the youth being able to have that until they become church members. And uh, I, I think that probably threatens their way of life more than anything else.
0: Hmm.
1: Well, I think the smartphone and social media have, have contributed to a lot of the downfall in society in general, as far as our, for being a form of communication and then miscommunication or false information. It's a mixed mixed blessing. It's a double-edged sword, if you will.
2: Yes, I agree, and and like all technology, it can be used for a lot of good. But there's always a, a downside to it. There's always some some bad things that can be used for as well. I, I think that could probably be said for for about everything that's ever been invented.
1: <laughs> True. So, Ed, do you have? I What do you think is a leading misconception about the Amish in general, or anything you'd like to let people know that? about the Amish, that they struggle just like the rest of us when it comes to certain things?
2: Yeah, I, there's so many things that are misunderstood. I'm not really sure what the big, I, I guess the, the probably the most common one I hear is people assume that since I grew up Amish and now left the Amish that I'm totally shut out, totally shunned from the Amish culture. And I think that's a, a pretty big misconception as we discussed earlier there's a, a quite a variety of ways this is addressed but as a whole the family ties are still there even though you know they're they're somewhat strained and held at a distance for the most part i think most Amish people are able to to visit their families you know go back and visit maybe in in uh, more limited ways or whatever but it's not as if it's a complete shunning never never talk to them ever again and, and so on Hmm. Um, obviously that changes from one community to the next as well. Hmm. Uh, that's probably the most common one.
1: Hmm. Well, I I so much appreciate you taking the time out of your busy day. I know you're a busy guy, and I uh, I know that our listeners will appreciate your contributions that you've brought to this podcast. And I think this will probably draw this to a close for now. I want to thank the listeners, anybody who's tuned in. We, If you... Uh, found this podcast interesting, please share with your friends. Please like, subscribe, whatever platform you listen on. And if you'd like to leave a favorable review, I would like that too. And if you uh, have any questions or anything you'd like to have discussed in future episodes of Life on the Illinois Prairie, you could email me at wendex, W-E-N-D-E-X at L-O-T-I-P at gmail.com. Thank you for uh, joining us this week, and thank you, Ed Yoder, for being our guest. We appreciate you very much. We hope to see you all again.
2: Yes, thank you very much for having me, and I appreciate you uh, telling the story of the Amish people. I still, I still consider them my people, even though I'm not a part of that culture at this time, and I'm uh, still very much uh, proud of my heritage, or at least thankful for, for <sighs> the way I was raised, and thank you for, for telling our story.
1: Thank you, Ed, for being here. Thanks for listening to Life on the Illinois Prairie, the undercurrents of our American life. If you haven't yet, go ahead and subscribe to Life on the Illinois Prairie wherever you get your podcast. Stay tuned for more stories, interviews, and updates. I'm your host, Wendy Fleming Dexter. Until next time.
0: Produced by Audovita Studios.
2: Connect your voice to the world.